Welcome to the High and Low Podcast, hosted by me, Bravo Bravo, Ducking Bravo. Today we're going to talk about Beverly Hills. We're going to talk about the season as a whole, the current cast, and there's about three and a half baby deep dives in here. An update on Mauricio's Malibu Mansion lawsuit that involved an African prince and the United States government. His connection to one of Morgan Wade's exes that is rife for conspiracy theories. And the lawsuit filed against the man who rated 8.5 Anne. And why I turned into the heart eyes emoji when Nia Hill showed up at Taco Night. All that and more. I've taken a gummy. Let's go on an adventure. Before we get going with Beverly Hills, we'll address the elephant still in the room, lingering from the Salt Lake City finale, which is Monica being behind the Reality Von Teese account. That is being dragged out in a way that would make Monique proud. It is, I think, going to be something that we're going to hear about the entire offseason, because now we've got the fight between the people who were behind Reality Von Teese, the hairdresser, Tanisha, who is still Heather's hairdresser, and Monica, and maybe, I don't know if Koa was behind it, if he just was the subject that was being yelled at in the video that they originally released. Now about that video, Jen Shaw in her home, yelling, yelling is a nice way to put it, ranting, going off, something, about to break glass with the screeching at Koa, the dressmaker, because she was displeased with how long he was taking making her reunion dress. So she's going off in this video. We all thought that it had been filmed by someone sitting at the bar, sitting next to Jen. But it turns out that it was security camera footage. It looks like someone logged into Jen's security system to get that footage and then share it with the world. So many questions. Now, Tanisha is saying, I believe, that it was Monica who logged into the security system and got Jen's footage. Why did anyone have this information? If it's from Jen Shaw's security footage, why was she giving that information out to people? And this is where I have a difference of opinion on, on what does wealth and being rich really mean? Because when you watch Below Deck or you watch people who have the kind of wealth where they need staff in any way, either on their yacht or in their mansion or servicing their private planes, if I was offered that kind of wealth tomorrow, I would try my very best to live the kind of life where I don't need people around me. Because where where someone else looks at the yacht and says, that looks so great, I want to do that. Only thing I'm thinking in my mind is everybody who works on that yacht is hearing everything going on. There is no privacy. They're seeing everything. They're folding your clothes. It's, there's too, it's too, too much. Get out of my space. Now look what happens. So I got some questions. I think that's something that Monica could address of where, the, where did that footage come from? There's a lot of creepy things going on now that are leaving a bad taste, I think, in some people's mouths at the moment. The drive-bys, she's been accused of driving by quite a few times at Jen's house. I don't understand a drive-by in this day and age. It just feels weird. So that's what's happening in Salt Lake City. Just that's a quick update because it can't be ignored. It's everywhere. It's in all of our faces right now. But let's move on. Let's move on to Beverly Hills. Now, the latest episode that aired was the episode where Garcelle and Dorit go out to lunch to address ongoing issues that they are having. Because Dorit, throughout the season, as she has in previous seasons with Garcelle, continues to not accept things, messages directly from Garcelle about how she's feeling or what she's thinking. She's just got to pick and prod. And it's really driving Garcelle and all of us a little mad. 
The amusing news is that Dorit, I think, is having her worst season, which is saying something. It's a bit of a flop era. On that taco night, she tried and failed four times, quattro, to start crap with people. It was top-tier television. She first tried to get one of Crystal's friends to confront Sutton about Magic Mike and get something going there. Failed. Then she tried to embarrass Sutton after hearing she shared a kiss with her driver. Failed. Splendidly. And then when Garcelle threw a flag on that, saying, hey, you're using information that you overheard in a joyous way, now in a mean-spirited way. Then her retort to Garcelle was that she felt attacked by Garcelle. And when Garcelle tried to explain how using the word attacked was too much, she feigned ignorance. And even Erica jumped in. You're making bad moves when Erica has to jump in. So then she tries to shift focus, right? She's like, okay, all right, right, shift focus. And then she goes to hot potato to Denise and Erica. It was like watching a jet in crosshairs just throw out decoy flares. Hail Mary shots from half court, just trying to get the heat off her. And that failed too. Both Erica and Denise called her on it. And Denise delivered the coup de grace by sipping her tea slowly and saying, take it down a notch. Just take it, sorry, sorry, take it down a notch. Ooh, ooh, just wrap me in that entire scene like a warm blanket out of the dryer. Because Denise talked to her like she was pitying her a little bit. That's Denise's gift. She can't help but act like she's a real person, good or bad. You know, our ragamuffin, she may not be as polished or as prepared as the others, but she has value. And we witnessed it in that interaction. So with no more cards to play, Dorit just stands up and says, well, I miss my husband, I'm leaving. And Dorit has had so many bad moments with Garcelle that it's amazing that she doesn't just feign kindness and understanding whenever possible. She instead, she's like, this is the hell I'm dying on. Nope. Now this one. Nope. Now this one. Nope. You know what? I'm going to tell her that I think it's been long enough since what happened to her child happened. I think I'm going to tell her it's been a year since the whole debacle of someone hiring a bunch of bots to completely attack, actually attack her child online. Why Dorit always feels the need to do that with Garcelle? I don't know, but Garcelle is much nicer than most people because she keeps trying to have these one-on-ones and talk it out. But she did say this week, you know, Dorit lives in a bubble. And Dorit had fun making light of that, posting to her Instagram about how great her bubble is and showing her with her family, completely missing the point and just being obtuse Dorit per usual. And I'm sorry, maybe it's the gummy talking, but the irony of making jokes about it, antagonizing Garcelle whenever possible, and then in your confessional, your hairdo is straight out of Baps. A great movie if anyone hasn't seen it. That's something only Dorit would do, I think. And I know she's notoriously tone deaf. We've seen it before. Last season, the one before when she's sitting at the dinner and she's like, my mother's best friend is black. And everyone just stared at her. Like, okay, Mima, thank you for that contribution. You're really, you've helped so much this evening. We appreciate that you spoke. Just classically trained in tone deafness. Now in current news, off of the show, PK is producing these Peter Pan shows. Have you heard about it? In the United Kingdom. Dorit was on the posters and it said she was going to play a mermaid. And of course, Boy George is in it. And it's this touring show, live show, theater, the theater, darling. She said she was going to be in all of the shows. She listed them all on her account. Face Reality 16 has a good summary of this on her page right now. But then when the show started happening recently, she wasn't there. And people were very disappointed. 
And they went and looked and she posted something, you know, a week or two before the show started saying, so excited, just going to be part of the London shows. But no one knew that, that bought the tickets, you know, months ago, a year ago, whatever, thinking they're going to see her in the shows. People were upset that she wasn't there. And I would be too, if you paid to see that. Especially because now we've seen clips and footage of people who've gone to the London shows where she is. And oh, it's supposed to be really campy. Okay. That's the, it's called pantomime, I want to say, but it's a tradition they have there where they have kind of their like reality star type people be in these productions. And for whatever reason, Dorit has decided to act with the thickest Jersey girl, sounds like the show The Nanny with Fran Drescher, like that voice is what she, I, it's, it really does seem like a sight to behold because it's like The Nanny, but then also Lois from Family Guy. And you should immediately be able to just hear that voice in your head. Peter. Hey, Peter. It's that. She's actually saying Peter on stage like that. So I think somewhere down deep in her subconscious, she read the script. She heard people saying Peter and she just thought about Family Guy. That's what I think happened. That's what she's channeling. Her mermaid is the nanny from the 90s sitcom. It's the nanny meets Lois from Family Guy. So I would be sad to miss that too if you paid for that experience because people are just giggling in the audience, getting their money's worth. She doesn't really know the moves. They're showing like they're doing the dances and she's looking around like she missed rehearsals. Oh, just awesome. Just good stuff. So the last episode of Beverly Hills, you know, Garcelle takes, uh, asks Dorit to lunch or Dorit asks Garcelle. I'm not sure which one, but Dorit and Garcelle go to lunch and it was the most awkward interaction that I have seen in a minute. It really was. It was so awkward that the producers played up how awkward it was. It was painfully awkward, I would call it. Garcelle was very patient. She said, I'm not here to teach you, but then she calmly walked her through it. She drew pictures for her, essentially. A puppet show was held. She very calmly explained the issue with using the word attacked, with some other things Dorit has done, and Dorit was playing dumb, I would say. Garcelle's pretty much explained to her, this is a pattern with you. It's not just about this one thing. And Dorit was like, it sounds like you're saying there's a pattern. And that hurts me. And that's a dangerous allegation. And I put a poll up and I asked, what have you seen on Bravo that has been more awkward than this lunch? Because that's how bad it was. There were just long stretches of silence with only like blinking, blinking in silence. And Garcelle at least acknowledged the waiter. People pointed that out. And Dorit did not. Maybe it was edited out. Maybe not. Who knows? The producers are shady. So some of the answers I got to tell me a moment that is more awkward than this lunch with Garcelle and Dorit were uh, the most common, nothing ever, nothing ever. This is the most awkward thing I've ever seen. Another one was the bunny, the bunny at the reunion. I brought the bunny. That was pretty awkward, but it was, it was beautiful as well. Teddy waiting on Dorit back in the day. I still think that wasn't as awkward because it's less awkward when there's just one person. This was the tension of two people. Neither one of them wanted to be there. Someone else said, anything with Kyle and Sutton these days. It's too tense with Kyle and Sutton. Someone else said, anything with Diana? Yeah. For me, it's anything with Diana's man singing. That made me want to crawl out of my skin. Just thinking about that, I would just Kool-Aid man out of that room so fast. He grabs a mic, I'm out. If I see a mic, if I hear audio being hooked up in any way, gone. Fanning appendicitis, rolling out calling an Uber from the bathroom, calling out a window. 
Another answer we got was uh, the, the classic mimes lunch scene with Karen and Giselle. I love that. That's just fun. That wasn't even awkward. That was hilarious. And then my favorite submission that someone gave, I yelled at this one. It was when Joe Gorga's brown fake hairspray came off on everybody in the fight. And he and Melissa pretended not to know what it was. But we didn't know that right away. You know, they said that in the confessional that, oh, yeah, I'm going bald and I'm, I'm spraying this brown spray on my head. And so when I lunged and attacked someone, it came off on everybody and we just played it off. Oh, man. Isn't that amazing? The fact that Joe came back from that and held his little shaved head high and laughed it off. You can do anything in this world, okay? Embarrassment is an illusion. Take a risk today. That's the takeaway from Joe Gorga. But Dorit, Dorit, it's like she's committed to misunderstanding Garcelle. You know how people say it's a waste of time to argue with someone who's dedicated to misunderstanding you? That's what this is. And I think the sooner Garcelle realizes that, the better. Because she tripled down on the bubble thing. And that's that. Like she's told us who she is. Actions speak louder than words. And they speak pretty loud with Dorit. She's got a lot of words to get out. Enough already. Dorit can keep operating like someone's inappropriate grandma and just leave the rest of us to the future. To the future and beyond we go. Dorit stays where she's at. We can't help her. Leave Dorit to her high fructose corn syrup filled bubble. How great was that, by the way? During an episode of Beverly Hills, we got subjected to a Coca-Cola commercial. And for those keeping score, that's ad number two for Dorit. First one was a hidden ad. I feel like there should be something at the bottom of the screen that says hashtag ad. Dorit and PK. They did that whole pretty woman date at the hotel. Well, guess what? That's a service that the hotel sells. If you go to their page, the Regent Beverly Wilshire. Reg Bev Will. That's what Kat writes on the pizza box. For those people who also like the actual movie Pretty Woman. Reg Bev Will in red lipstick. Uh, but that was an ad for that hotel. They were just showcasing that you can go there. You can rent the suite. You can have a bunch of red dresses hopefully that are triple dry cleaned, sent up there. And you can act out the pretty woman stuff of your dreams. I'd rather it be the part where somebody just gives me a credit card and says, go have fun. So anyway, that's ad number two for Dorit and PK. They're always working some angle. I can imagine PK and Dorit sitting down to figure out how many things they can plug during her season. Those are all separate paychecks, I'm sure. Or maybe it's, Bra do we think it's Bravo? That's a good question. Do we think Bravo is working all these deals with the region Beverly Wilshire and Coke? I wonder if they're allowed to be free agents like that and set up their, their own mini advertisements within the show. Because obviously we see them do it. But why then is Dorit the one? You're not going to catch Sutton doing an ad, I don't think. You know, so I feel like it has to be the individual housewife choosing how she wants to spend her filming hours. But here's what really makes me mad. What makes me mad is when something is done and it could have been better, it could have been funnier. So they're trying to sell us Coke products. Dorit's drinking a Coke out of a Coke can. Her child is like, Coca-Cola or Diet Coke, you know, to Erica. Erica's like, I want like a regular Coca-Cola, not a Diet Coke, just a regular Coke. And the little girl's like, I knew it. I knew you were going to say a Coca-Cola and not a Diet Coke. It went on for too long. The word Coca-Cola was said six times. I counted. What a missed opportunity for Dorit to just be sipping a Coca-Cola from the can in her bathroom and say, 
This is the only Coke you'll see me doing in my bathroom. Boom. Amazing. Way to make fun of yourself. But no, that's not what we got. It's not what we got. Instead, we got treated like we're dumb, which is always fun. Dorit is just a walking ad on the show now. And question, does Coke need to advertise at this point? I think we're all familiar. It's everywhere that anything can be sold. And it's annoying to see women who you know do not make a habit of actually drinking Coke, shilling Coke. It's like cosplaying a regular person when you know that they're not and they're not drinking that. Coke is very addicting. Anything that's even saccharin, fake sugar stuff can be very, very addicting. I used to have a bad addiction to DDP. Where my DDP hose at? Diet Dr. Pepper. So good. I used to take a Diet Dr. Pepper. Here was my ritual. I would put it in the freezer. Dangerous game. But we live to play dangerous games. And you leave it in there just long enough, it starts to freeze. And it's got little frozen ice crystals of Diet Dr. Pepper floating through it when you open it. Now, did I miscalculate and explode a few cans? That's the price you pay. Maybe one in every 20. But I had to let that go once I figured out how bad that was for me. And it was an addiction. I was having two or three a day. That's too much of anything other than gummies. Kombucha, sparkling water. That's as nasty as I get these days. Sometimes I miss the old ways, but we got to evolve. We got to know better, do better. It's a hard hard addiction to break though. It really is. A sparkling water will will get you through something to rub on your gums, you know? And I did have someone, a follower, write to me, DM me and say, yeah, they've either like worked for, you know, one of the major soda companies or on the marketing team for them. Anyway, I forget the detail. That's not important. The main message was, this is absolutely true. There's a huge push for them to advertise in unconventional ways on these TV shows they know people are watching. So they're trying really hard to make it seem like, oh yeah, no, everyone still drinks Coke. Why aren't you drinking? Where's your high fructose corn syrup? And it's not our fault. We're biologically engineered to want that sweetness. There was a study done in, I believe it was like 2007, and it was about rats who had the option of having actual cocaine or extremely sweet water. And they went for the sweet water every time to the point where they were like, okay, it's 94% of the rats are choosing the sugar every single time over the actual cocaine. So make no mistake that it's biological and it's really a tough habit to break. It would not surprise me if Dorit took a break next season. She doesn't have a lot of close alliances. She's not really gelling with a lot of people on the show. You know, her closest relationship with Kyle, they used to have that foursome couples thing. It's it, That's over. That's gone now. She's just kind of bickering with people. She doesn't have the charm of hyping up Jamie Lee Curtis's wind chimes. So chic, Jamie. Oh, it's so chic. That moment has passed. And she's seems kind of envious of this Morgan Wade friendship, which we're going to get to in a second. But let's go to Sutton first. All right, let's talk about our sweet Southern Bill Sutton. Sutton, S-U-I-N. That's how the dating coach pronounces Sutton. Sutton. She has just like sorority recruiter vibes, the dating coach. The energy is off the charts. I don't think I would be like that. If you gave me 10 espressos, I don't think that I could muster even a quarter of the energy that she puts into just saying hello. When she comes in Sutton's front door, she's a lot. 
I think I would need to take every meeting with her laying down, like how Sutton just deflated and laid down at the end of that last one. I think I would just have to be like, I can't make eye contact with you and I can't set up, but go ahead, say what you need to say, and then give me a minute and I'm going to reply back to you from a reclining position. I think that's the only way I could do it. But Sutton's having a great season. She really is. Name them. Let's name why she's having a great season. One, she's dating. Two, she's got a horse. Three, she's got an assistant. Four, she's slaying the one-liners. Name them. She's not getting rattled in any of her verbal altercations or flustered. She's direct. She's confident. And that face-off with Kyle at the weed dinner, she says to Kyle then, like, what's going on with your marriage? She calls her right out. She says, you don't like how I'm asking you. You didn't like me asking you one-on-one. I'll ask you right here. How do you want me to say this to you? A lot of things are changing with you. I'm asking you about it. I'm not talking behind your back, which is actually nice of her. And no one, no one gets under Kyle's skin like Sutton does. And I know she brushed aside the comment where Sutton says, you treat me like a sister. You're mean to me like a sister. I don't like it. Kyle's like, you wish, you wish, you wish you were a Richard's sister. She doesn't, but... You do, you are mean to her like a sister, was the point. Sutton gets under Kyle's skin like I imagine a sister would. It's really amazing. I don't know why that is. It, it, it didn't happen the first season, if you recall. People were kind of mean to Sutton and Kyle stood up for her. And she like brought Sutton into the group, I believe. Kyle brings everybody in the group. Can we stop? Real talk. Can we stop letting Kyle do all the casting? I'm begging. I'm begging. Who else can bring a friend on the show? Anyone? Like that friend that Crystal had on the show, the one that Dorit tried to get to do her dirty work. She's awesome. Her name is Nia. She should be on the show. There need to be people not under Kyle's influence on the show. I'm putting it out there. But all right, back to Sutton. She's having a good season. She did waver at Magic Mike. We all saw it. We all know. Okay. I'm going to chalk it up to seeing Erica's spread legs on stage. I think that would rattle anyone because she reacted like a canary in a coal mine. She was like, get out. I got to get out. As if to warn us that this atmosphere could no longer sustain life. But I do wonder if she'd just been part of the first wave on stage, if she would have had the same reaction or if she would have been fine because she had a stack of cash ready. She wore pants. She was in good spirits and something about seeing the ladies go up before she was in it, it spooked her or it made it feel awkward. And when Sutton feels awkward, we're all going to feel awkward. We're all going to pay the price. And we did. We had to hear about the ballet as if the ballet is high and mighty and free of all issues, right? Because the ballet is notorious for bad behavior. So try again. We're too smart. We know too much for that to work. But other than that, she's thriving. She's doing well. We love to see it. She's proud of her store. She's going to be the most independent she's been with her ex moving to London. However, however not important Kyle believes that to be, I think that is pretty monumental for Sutton. And she handled that gang up in Kyle's kitchen. She was fending off people left and right. She was getting hit on all sides, flippant allegations of alcohol abuse, people saying she's not eating and wink, wink, what's that about? Relentless mocking and questioning of her health condition that she's confided in Kyle about. That meant nothing to Kyle. She'll come for it. And then she'll tag in her new friend to get, oh, let's just get to it. 8.5 Anne. Here we go. Or as I call her, one and done. She's got a couple of aliases now. It's a thank you next situation. Thank you next. Oh, Anne, I am not a fan. 
and is a registered nurse, an RN, if you will. Dr. Nicole from Miami commented on her ongoing questions and commentary about Sutton's medical condition and just talked about how inappropriate that was, as anyone in the medical field should know, without being Sutton's doctor or seeing anything to just be telling her that what she's experiencing somehow isn't real or shouldn't be dealt with the way she's dealing with it, uh, the way she and her doctor are dealing with it. 8.5 Anne responded by calling Dr. Nicole a clout chaser, which is just so classic Anne, isn't it? Do we expect anything else? Not really. But it's unfortunate because it seems like she's just doing Kyle's bidding. Kyle hyped her up about this. They talked about it over the cut fruit scenes, Sutton's store celebration when Kyle's sitting next to her new friend, 8.5 Anne, and she's pretending to put lipstick on, but really she's whispering things to Anne to keep her going about the esophagus. <sighs> Anne, you got to stay on your own two feet. You really do. You can't let Kyle tell you what to do, but I'm glad you did because we're one and done with you. And again, I implore the universe. Can we please stop letting Kyle do the cast? Please. We are so close to maybe having Nia Renee Hill on the show. She was Crystal's friend at Taco Night. I saw her. I about choked. She'd be amazing. She'd be funny, interesting, confident, charming, no BS. Doesn't need the show so she can be herself. If she would have us, that would be an amazing season. It gives me chills just thinking about it. Her handle on Instagram is Nia's Alter Ego, one word. She's an actress. She's a writer. She acted in some HBO shows. She's got her own production company. She's exciting to me. She'd be a breath of fresh air. She worked as a talent coordinator for The Chappelle Show in its first season in 2003, which was just legendary peak TV. Her father was a comedy manager. So it feels like fate that she met and then, uh, you know, dated for 10 years and then ended up marrying the comedian Bill Burr. And they've got two kids. They're just a cute little family. And anybody, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, anybody who's married to a comedian is also funny and a good time. I want... Bravo to woo her and get her on the show if she's at all interested. She'd be doing us a favor, help. She would, I think she would help because Beverly Hills does tend to feel like the most fake and overproduced of all the franchises to me. And it kind of feels like the Kyle show these days. So we need, we need someone to come shake it up. I want someone to come shake it up who is not part of Kyle's circle. Not that life is about followers, but Nia has like over 200,000 followers on Instagram. 8.5 Anne has less than 30,000. She's like, and that was me being nice. She's got 28,000. So just saying there's a magnetism and interest factor that Nia has that maybe other housewives don't have, and that can't be ignored. But for the moment, we have 8.5 Anne. My favorite thing about 8.5 Anne is that Bravo has her holding a diamond in the opening scenes. We, she didn't even show up till episode three or four. Episode three or four, I was like, is this the new housewife? And she's wearing that dress that everybody on the show has already worn. The one where it just looks like somebody started making a pom-pom and gave up. It's just tied once, once in the middle. Like you took a bundle of sticks and tied them together with a string, but you took a bundle of like tool instead and tied it together with a string, that dress. You know what I'm talking about. And it's not like somebody on a different franchise wore that. Like Erica wore that just two seasons ago, I think. And I'm not saying you can never wear the same thing twice, but it's such a unique dress. It'd be like if somebody wore the swan dress that Bjork wore and then someone showed up 
two years later wearing the swan dress, you'd be like, stop, go get something out. They make a million things. You could, you could literally go into any store and get anything. Why'd you pick that? Pretending like you don't watch a show? Is that like a subtle nod to tell us, I've never, I've never even watched a show. I didn't even know that somebody wore it. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So she's got a fixation with Sutton's esophagus. It's getting weird. She's got to stop trying to make fetch happen. She's trying so hard with this esophagus. She's got to let the esophagus go. It's her one card and she's playing it a lot. And trigger warning, I'm going to talk about her husband. Let's talk about the husband. He's a former NFL player. And I think the reason that she was not in the show, if I had to guess, and she's really not in there that much, is her husband is a former NFL player who was accused of S.A. The husband's name is Marcellus Wiley. He played for the Bills and then the Chargers. After that, he, after football, he worked for ESPN, I believe as a commentator. Then he became co-host of something called Speak for Yourself on FS1. Look, the only football I know over here is the Kelsey brothers. So everything else is lost on me. So one file a lawsuit and said that when he was at Columbia University, that he assaulted her and faced really no repercussions about it. And the lawsuit alleges that the administrators at Columbia University attempted to imply that the plaintiff had, quote, misinterpreted the situation. And she says that they were dismissive of the assault and expressed, quote, fondness for Wiley. At the time, he was suspended and put on academic probation. But according to the lawsuit, she later learned about multiple complaints of alleged assaults against him beginning in the fall of 1993 when he was a freshman. The complaints also allegedly continued after her assault. And the lawsuit notes that the administrators would not even tell him about the allegations against him until after an upcoming game. And then the suit says that after that game, the big game happened that they didn't want to upset him about. That an administrator, quote, did not want to derail a good black man's NFL chances. And per the lawsuit, the student who reported the assault was also black. Sounds like universities continue to have their priorities straight. So it's not just one person, one allegation. It's at least two. There's references to others. And of course, he strongly denies it. This is all according to a write-up in The Messenger from a reporter who read the filing. I haven't gotten to read it yet. I don't know if I want to read it. I don't know if I can handle it. And the article says that he will be summoned to respond to the complaint and he may have to appear in court in New York. We're going to keep an eye on it. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what? No, it can't be. A man who would rate his wife would never be capable of seeing and treating a woman as a lesser being. No, no, no. That can't be, it doesn't fit, doesn't sound right, to which I say, surprise. It could be. Could be. We believe women over here. And can you imagine giggling and gloating about being rated an 8.5? <sighs> that whole little speech, I won. <laughs> he picked me and he was like, you're going to be my wife and you're an 8.5 and that's good. And so I went, oh ma'am, no, it's not too late. But also if you're happy with that, do you? 8.5 Anne, she's a unique one. She's uh, an interesting bird. She follows Candace Owens. So say less, via con Dios. My hope is that it's a one and done with that couple. We can make a clean break from them and move on to more interesting and less, and less horrifying pastures. Crystal's having a good season. And honestly, kudos to Crystal because seeing that Nia is part of her her circle of friends, 
Like, I don't care about purses. I don't care about Crystal's gingerbread house Hermes purse that costs more than most people will ever make in their life. What I care about is that she's got a funny circle of friends. That's something to shoot for. Because it is hard to make friends as an adult, as we all know. So I have, I have to see Crystal this year. She's in her element a little bit more. She's calling things out. She's speaking up. She's getting conversations going without being an instigator. And it's an art. That's an art, you know? And it has to be learned sometimes. So I think she's got her sea legs now, it seems. Crystal's storyline this season is a lot about some guilt she feels about. She blames herself for possibly causing a rift between her brother and his former fiance, which they broke it off. So she's carrying guilt with that. There's the brother's on lot. But I like that she's also being really honest about the issues that she has being on a show with these women. Like in the most recent episode, she said, it's hard to film with these women. All of them are shrinking. So her vulnerability and her honesty about issues that I think if you put any normal person on a cast with Real Housewives, especially of Beverly Hills, where they're very focused on their physical bodies, that she sort of is that voice of reason saying, hey, this is a little odd sometimes. And Crystal's got her critics per usual, not just Jeff Lewis, but a few accounts I'm seeing are saying, why didn't she speak up more when Sutton was being accused of having eating disorder, when that is something that she's talked about, Kyle's talked about. And who knows? Maybe she did. Maybe it was edited out. Maybe the discussion going into the kitchen and turning into esophagus gate derailed it. And you know, when it comes to 8.5, Anne, there's only one person to blame, and that person is Kyle. Kyle did this to us. She brought 8.5 Anne onto this show. What did we do to deserve this? I don't know. And I've noticed she's kind of distancing herself now. She's like, I didn't really know her. We know she came to an agency party and I thought she might be good for the show. And it's like, no, you don't get to back out now. You can get to back into the bushes now. Look what you did. I think Kyle's having a good season, not a great season. And I don't care. I've said it before. I don't care if her relationship with the young country singer Morgan Wade is platonic or not. I don't care. It's given her a pep in the step, a gleam in the eye, and I love it. And if she wants to tell us that she put a K on Morgan's arm because she, quote, thought she could turn it into a word, we just, we nod and smile and we say, okay, Kyle, whatever makes you happy. Because I like the way Morgan talks. I can listen to her read the dang old phone book. She could have a YouTube where she talks about her tattoos and a twangy drawl. But until then, appearing on Kyle's Amazon Live to help her sell stuff's gonna have to do. When I first heard her accent, I was like, that's so unique. Where is she from? I'm not the only person who thinks she sounds like Skeeter from Yellowstone. So I'm wondering what state she's from. Texas, Bama? No. She's from a small town in Virginia. But Kyle's rubbing off on her. She is. Guess they're bebopping around Aspen or some such place. They have matching hats from Kimo Sabe, no doubt. And I noticed that Morgan had on Louis Vuitton sneakers. So I feel like that's Kyle's influence for sure. How did I know? You're like, how did you know? How do you know the sneakers with Louis Vuitton? Because the name was written huge on the side because they're tasteful like that. Real big on the outside so people know, oh, those aren't just shoes. Those were $1,000. But I liked Morgan. She seemed funny and chill. And, you know, Mauricio, as intended with the editing, has been rubbing everybody the wrong way. In Beverly Hills land, it is so hard to know when we watch these shows what is real and what is not. Because I read something this week that kind of shocked me. 
it could just be a coincidence. I'm going to tell you about it. So I saw this on reality T, the word reality and then the word T. And I saw a post of theirs that said, Morgan Wade dated a man in her early 20s, I think 19, 20, 21 years old, a man named Joe Link. And they were in a band together and the band was called the Step Brothers. And there's actually a local news segment and it's on realityt.com. And she talks in the video about how they, he broke up with her. So she wrote a song to get him back. And now years later, Morgan is still a musician. Joe Link is a real estate agent and he works for the agency in Maryland, Virginia, and DC. So he's not LA based. Now she's from a small town in Virginia. Now he's only got two listings on his page. One is a condo in Manhattan Beach or something. And the other one's like another condo in DC. I don't know what to make of it, but I'm just making a note of it. How weird is that? Could have happened one of two ways. It could have been something that after Kyle and her started becoming friends, she's like, hey, this really good friend of mine, he's looking for a job. And Kyle made that happen. It could be not at all related. Yeah, right. Or it could be that he was working there first and then they somehow also Kyle reaches out to Morgan Wade out of nowhere. I'd love to know what the connection is. I would enjoy it if they would explain that, which means we'll probably never hear about it. But yeah, got people, it's got people coming up with theories on why, why that is, or if that's connected at all. But meanwhile, Mauricio and Kyle are working very hard to show us that he's too busy for his love bean, you know? And it makes sense. He's got his Netflix show now. He's golfing a lot, it seems, going on trips. He's dancing with the stars, question mark. His Malibu lawsuits, update on that. For anybody who was following that, I was. He was involved with this Malibu mansion that turned into many lawsuits. I'm gonna give you a very quick summary on what happened with that. In 2015, the U.S. government selected Mauricio to sell a mansion in Malibu for the most money possible. You saw the mansion if you saw the episode of Beverly Hills when they have that Roaring Twenties flapper party at a mansion overlooking the water. That's the house that he was in charge of selling. Lord knows how or why. But the U.S. government picks Mauricio out of all the real estate agents they could have picked in that area to sell this mansion. So his job is to get as much money as humanly possible. Why, you ask? Because the owner of the mansion was the son of the president of Equatorial Guinea, which is a republic of West Africa. The problem is the son purchased that home with, quote, laundered funds generated by corrupt business dealings in Equatorial Guinea, according to the U.S. government. And so he used money from corrupt business dealings, they say, to buy the mansion, a jet, a bunch of luxury items. I think he bought some Michael Jackson memorabilia. This is all from LA Times articles. You're like, where are you getting this from? LA Times. The US government says to this guy, no, sorry, I can't do that. So they came to an agreement and the agreement was that he would sell the house for as much money as possible. He would give $10.3 million of whatever he sold it for to the U.S. government, the rest of the millions go back to the people of his country. So Mauricio allegedly got 
five offers, and it was his duty to bring those offers back to the son, show them all, and he knows he's got to get the one that makes the most money. Mo brings these offers back to him, and he says, all right, here's the highest one. It's for $32.5 million from this guy named Oberfeld. was his last name. So everybody says, okay, great. Thanks, Mauricio, for doing your very best and getting the most money you could. And the government gets their $10 million. The people of Equatorial Guinea get the rest. However, in the next year, in 2017, Mauricio and Oberfeld, the guy who bought the Malibu mansion, teamed up as business partners. They worked together to flip the mansion. And even though they bought it for 32.5, they sold it the next year for $70 million. Immediately, three things happened. One, a man named Sam Hakim comes forward and he throws a flag and he says, I offered Mauricio 40 million. And he told me verbally he was going to give that offer to his client. But now I'm seeing that it actually sold for a 32.5. He's like, then he didn't, he must not have given my $40 million offer. And now I see that he was personally invested with the mansion going to this guy, Oberfeld, because they teamed up and then flipped the place together. So he filed a lawsuit and he says eight causes of action in it. It's like fraud, breaches of duty, negligent misrepresentation, allegations that Mauricio breached his duty to be an honest and fair broker. Mauricio's response is that, hey, I don't have any memory of that happening. You say that you gave me an offer for $40 million. I don't have any memory of that. And that's why you get all things in writing, because it's your word against somebody else's at the end of the day. Second thing that happens, the former owner slash son of the Equatorial Guinea president, comes back and he says, now I'm filing a suit against Mauricio because look, you could have gotten us more money and you didn't. You had one job to get as much money as possible to help fix this stuff and you didn't do it. And now it looks like you had a self-interest in taking the offer that you did. Mauricio quickly reached a settlement with the former owner out of court and those settlement terms, according to LA Times, provided $6.35 million to a healthcare nonprofit in Equatorial Guinea. And that's how he smoothed that over with the son of the president. Then the third thing that happened, the agency's own insurance company sued either Mo or the agency or both because the agency filed an insurance claim to help pay off that $6.35 million to the healthcare nonprofit in Equatorial Guinea. The insurer for the agency then accused Mauricio of a conflict of interest in the deals and sought to rescind the brokerage's policy. So they didn't want to insure him anymore and they're accusing him of conflict of interest. Mauricio settled with them too. And that's undisclosed. We don't know what the, the terms were and we don't know if they're still his you know, insurance provider. So those three things happened as a result. Everybody was turned and was like, Are, you think we're dumb? We see what you just did there. You and your friend got that house for 32.5, you could have gotten 44, according to this guy, and then you all flip it for 70 the following year. So he settles again with the son, he settles with the insurance people, but the Sam Hakim case was ongoing. That has been ongoing for many years. However, in December of 2023, Sam decided to reach a settlement. 
But again, it had to do with Mauricio making a donation of Sam's choosing. So Mauricio did have to pay something. Keem's attorneys, they pushed back saying, oh no, there's evidence. Because they had transcripts of voicemails that Sam left for Mo in 2015. And the client says things like, I'm ready to make an offer, all cash offer in the 40 range. Mauricio's team dismisses the voicemail. And they say that that voicemail was left prior to visiting the property. And it was just kind of like talk. People say all the time, I've got a client looking for up to 60 million is the quote. What can I have? What can you show? That's not evidence of any sort of offer. My response to that would be, there's a difference between someone saying, I've got a client looking for up to X, Y, Z, and someone saying, I'm ready to make an all cash offer in the 40 range. I'm ready to make an all cash offer. I think it would have ended badly for Mauricio because the judge said, uh, had already allowed them to keep pursuing this despite coming up on some kind of like statute of limitations that Mauricio's team was arguing. And uh, the court wrote, the court notes that the evidence does seem pretty clear that Umansky's suggestion that the discussions only started a little bit before May 2016 was simply false and that he knew it when he said it. Now, Mo is a sassy one because he replied back, and I think this is a quote he gave the paper, that the judge was completely wrong in those statements. The paper says, Mauricio almost seemed to rue the case was dropped. Uh, Mauricio says, unfortunately or fortunately, it's not going to be heard at trial. Sassy. I feel like it, I feel like it would have gone against him. But hey, now Mauricio is skiing with women in their 20s who are pretending to be in towels on the slope. So ain't life grand. Thanks, Rick Hilton. And none of us can know what's going on with, with Kyle and Mauricio, what's staged, what's authentic. But whatever their issues are, we like to see a woman unburdened by a man who's bringing her down emotionally, financially, whatever. So go giggle with Morgan and for God's sake, keep the Encino house. It's so cute if they end up separating, which I think they are separated now. I, I can't keep up and I don't care. Like she gets mad, like, we're not this, we're that. And I'm like, we don't care. Just be happy. Just go do you. I don't think they're ever going to have a dysfunctional relationship because, you know, for the sake of the kids. And they've always appeared to be very dedicated and loving parents. So whatever weirdness we're seeing, we hope that it's just being played up for Bravo. I do anyway. Because the other elements of the season for Kyle are, are pretty emotional. When she's not egging 8.5 Anne on to question Sutton's esophagus, she's having kind of emotional discussions about terrible grief for the loss of her childhood best friend. It's very sad. And then with Kim in this last episode about their lives growing up, the riff with the sisters, the silver lining is that in those paparazzi photos and video that were floating around, uh, Kathy is there with Kylan Morgan. So is Faye. And so they've obviously made up Kyle and Kathy. So that's good. And we go round and round. And Kyle, to me, is more angered by Sutton than her husband. So that's good. It's not like they can't stand each other. It's just a little awkward between Mo and his love bean. Seeing Kim on the show has been a bright light. And we have Sutton to thank for that. Because if she hadn't made a dig about Kyle and her sisters, I don't know if Kyle would have brought Kim around. And Kim seems at peace. She's twice interjected these very tense moments with just pure comedy, just funny commentary like, she quickly excused herself from it, too. Like, she doesn't want to be around it, which I respect. You know, they start fighting, and she stands up and says, the bulgogi was great, and then dips out. 
just goes home to go draw on her walls and home to herself. I love it. Denise flopped pretty hard, I'll say that. I think we can all say that. You know, we had high hopes for this Denise comeback. We wanted her to come back and fight for herself. She stumbled in in a pink fluffy jacket and she attended that dinner party. But she said she had a fever. I don't know if it was a fever or a fever. I don't know what it was, but she was not ready. She could barely get a thought out. It was like watching a toddler get mad and just mumble gibberish. It tugs at the heartstrings. She just couldn't keep up. And uh, Erica did show her mercy, which was nice. It was the bare minimum to not engage and not to escalate that situation. But she didn't let it go, though. I mean, the whole Dorit, Dorit trying to tell her her jacket was on upside down. I get her reaction to Dorit because Dorit is, she's always looking to stir something up. So if Dorit says anything to anybody at these events and you're just like, what are you trying to do, Dorit? And so poor Denise, even in her state, even the state she was in, she knew she knew Dorit foe in her mind. She was like, this not good. She bad. She be mean to me. But this latest episode when Denise tried to come for Erica again, again, when they were sipping the tea, they had the sip off. That was hard for everybody to watch. She couldn't even get her facts straight. It's like, come on, ragamuffin, pull a pencil out of that messy bun. Take some notes. She got one good hit in, though. You don't even know where $20 million went in your own LLC. That was pretty good. That was gold. That was a good one. She saved a little face there. And then the back and forth with, well, I know I'm right. You're not, though. Well, I know I am. But you're not. That was so great. The tension, the awkwardness. Instant classic scene. It was hard to watch because she flopped pretty badly. But she did it with confidence. I wanted to be Denise's boxing coach. I wanted to just shake her a little bit. Remind her what she's there for, yell, send her back out, ready to tussle. She had some moments. She was great with Dorit, actually, because she showed that kind of flippant irritation. It ended Dorit. That was the that was the finishing blow. That was good for Denise. And Erica, people were like, oh my gosh, Erica's having such a great season. Well, the bar was in hell. So, of course, she's having a good season. Last season, she screamed about orphans and widows that she only cares about herself. So, yes. It's possible to have a good season after that. She's somehow managing. She's so strong with the housekeeper only coming once a week. It's got to be tough. She's still got full glam, plenty of outfits, wigs, hair extensions. She's got a, a, someone paying her to go to Las Vegas and pat the puss. It's not a bad deal. And as I've said before, if we're being honest, she's having a great season because Lisa Renna isn't there. Lisa Rinna isn't carpooling with her everywhere and probably hyping up madness and discord before they get out of their car. It all feels lighter. Lisa Rinna isn't there to reinforce this Peaky Blinders gangster cosplay that she was obsessed with. And I don't think we would have seen the heartfelt apologies from Erica that she gave in the first two episodes if Rinna had stayed. I don't think we'd be seeing this more jovial, lighter, joking side of Erica as much. I think she can still deliver a line. She can still tussle. But she's at her best right now when she's keeping it light and and not trying to be a villain or react on the defensive. Everybody was pleasantly surprised that she smoothed it over with Denise at the table. And it's going to be an interesting reunion, I think, because Tom recently being declared competent to stand trial must have been jarring for her because the last two to three seasons, she's been working pretty hard to reinforce the message that he is not competent. 
And I know, she knows, we all know that a lot of lawyers are watching everything she says. So everything she said about Tom is going to end up in some court proceeding. And listen, this Marco Marco lawsuit, that's not going away. That, I think, is the thing, if I was her, I'd be most worried about. It's a wild story. It's pretty detailed. I'm going to put it up on YouTube soon, a dive I did about it. But the bottom line is she accused someone of doing something that they didn't do, and they almost went to prison over it. And as expected, it negatively impacted their life in very significant ways, and now they are pursuing legal action against her over it. Did that stop Bravo from making a spin-off special about her Vegas residency? No, it did not. That hasn't aired yet. We'll see how that does when it airs. It is nice to see on the show when she's not being terrible, when she's having a good time, like the lunch with Garcelle and Sutton. Garcelle is so funny. I, I don't know how anybody can think that she and Sutton are not truly, really good friends. It's obvious that they are. Garcelle reached over and grabbed Sutton's little boobies and squeezed them. I screamed. They're real close. It's obvious. I love a real friendship on Housewives. I'm tired of it all being contrived. Again, that's why New York was good. That's why people love, you know, Shaws of Sunset. That's why people love Family Karma, because they actually have real relationships. They're not just clocking into work. But that's how the season's going so far. It's all right. I tune in for the chaos of Sutton. I'm thankful for her. She, I think, out of all the housewives, is the one that's spicing it up, keeping it the most unpredictable. Can you imagine if she wasn't there? I don't even know what we'd be seeing. We need more housewives like that, that are outside of the clique, that are just doing their own thing, and they bring in an element of unpredictability. I've said my piece. Next episode is going to be the rundown of Salt Lake City, where all the drama's at these days. I've been working my way through the episodes, catching up. We all know my DVR croaked, and it, it sent my life in a tailspin. So I'm catching up, and then I will do a summary on that, releasing that on Thursday of this week. So envy me, because I have not seen many of these episodes. I'm going in with fresh eyes. I'm watching all of it, clockwork oranging myself as fast as I can. I'm getting through it. Yes, I already saw everything about the finale. I didn't watch it from beginning to end, though, so I'm going to get to experience that. I'm excited for myself. You can find me on Instagram talking about things, mostly in my stories. I just love a good story. Bravo, bravo, ducking bravo. You can find me on TikTok. Subscribe to my YouTube channel where I'm moving all my dives and subscribe to this podcast. In 56 minutes, I just got you up to speed on Beverly Hills and told you about three side dives. It's pretty good. New episodes Mondays and Thursdays, and if I ever get faster at this, more. Until then, don't be like Dorit. Someone says you hurt their feelings, just say, I'm sorry, and then find out why and don't do it again. Fiend. <laughs>